Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 6, Episode 2 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on April 3rd, 2023. And we're going to get right into it with talking about some beer that I brewed over Christmas that I ended up giving as Christmas presents through the remote. We're talking about them on stream, or it's not stream, but on the podcast today. Today, we're talking about my old Kentucky home, Bourbon Barrel L. It's a 6.5% ABV uh, beer. It uh, is one of the beers that I made over Christmas. I bought a couple of kits from Boom Chug Lug, and this was one of them that I made. It's supposed to be Barrel L. Uh, so basically, what you did was you took a whole bunch of uh, whiskey, and I used um, Old Forester, uh, which is, um, or no, Ancient Age. I used Ancient Age, not Old Forester. Um, whiskey, which isn't like a top shelf whiskey or anything like that, but I soaked the wood chips that they sent, or they were actually wood cubes um, that they sent, um, and then put them in the beer for about two days, a week, I think. I think it was closer to a week. Um, but then um, ended up uh, having what was left. So um, have have another person that I know who's had this. And this was their favorite beer out of the batch that I gave them. Um, I'm curious to see what you think about it, Ricky. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted with this one. Uh, I'll start with the bad. I think the beer flavor profile itself is a little, like, short. It Compared to the last one we did, I don't think the base beer is as good. It doesn't have some of those, like, expanded flavors like we talked about. You know, there's all that kind of caramel notes and there's some like tea-ish kind of herbal notes in it as well i get like a little bit of vanilla and smoke out of this one but the good part it has the absolute best like bourbon slash whiskey flavor of any of yeah. these drinks I've ever had i mean even like at a commercial level i'm buying something like a dragon's milk or we i know you've done some bourbon experiments before as well this one nails it I mean, it very yep. much kind of like when we talked about um, what was it? We boiled all honey the boucher, and I was yeah. like, "This is what if you if you told somebody, hey, this is what like scotch tastes like before you concentrate it, they'd believe you because it just had all those flavor profiles." I think you could do the same thing with bourbon and be like, "This is like pre-bourbon." Someone would taste it, and be like, "Oh yeah, that tastes exactly like bourbon. It's just not as strong as bourbon," <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that, that's how you get bourbon is you, you make a beer, you know, to begin with. It has a lot of the same notes. Um, so I I agree with you that the beer is very one note, but the, I, from my understanding of the kit, it's supposed to just accentuate, be there as a transport for the bourbon flavors. Gotcha. So and like the, Yeah, it does yeah. that well. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't think that I would make this one again. Um, to, to be like, a, you know, like another five gallons of this particular beer. But now that I know how to make this work with something else, I absolutely will do this to another beer like Santa's Little Helper or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because this nails yeah. that part. I mean, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not a big beer guy. I don't drink as much beer as most other people that are like do homebrewing. But I've killed both of these bottles. I mean, both of these kits are really good. And the bourbon on this, I can't get over that. It is just so good. So if that's all process and not like part of what's in the kit, like it's not using like specialty grains or something, 
then yeah, move okay. this process over to, I mean, a lot of your other brews that are already very good. And like, that would just be like the icing on top. Oh, I'm thinking about doing the thunder cookie gingerbread ale, like taking mm -hmm. some of it and making it like doing buying two next year. Cause that's like my standard, like Christmas beer now. Right. Yeah. Um, but take, taking that and doing like five of the gallons as a bourbon barrel. So it'd be thunder cookie, the the bun the bourbon cookie gingerbread ale you know essentially mm -hmm. yeah I'm looking forward to it it's it's going to be a fun next year I, I'm not sure if I'm going to brew as much as I did this year I did I did like uh, 35 gallons of beer for Christmas this year to hand out to people I'm not sure if I'm going to do that again but I probably will do it like a couple of gallons I might I might you know pare it down to like maybe um, you know, like the two favorites out of the out of them, and like make some iterations on that. So, yeah. And let's talk about the CISSP and the CCSP or the CSSP. I, I got that wrong. It's not mm -hmm. CCSP. It's CSSP. Uh, but they're they're both you know industry standard security certificates. Um, you know, I have a second job. I've talked about that before, where I go around and um, I write test questions for things like that. And right now I'm doing test questions for the CSSP, uh, the ICS2. And um, the CISSP it has a lot of the same material in it. So you've taken some courses that have like the CISSP material in it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious, what do you think about those as like industry standard certificates? What is their, I know they're valuable certificates, so there's no, there's nothing that I could say that would be like, oh no, they're not valuable or anything like that. And that's not the intention behind this. But what do you think about them like in, in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the effort you have to put into them in order to get something back out? If you're not a cybersecurity or secure or like information security professional. Yeah. So let me, I'm always a little conflicted on that. And I can't talk as much to the CSS, uh, the CCSP, because I don't know the requirements to take it and stuff, as opposed to the CISSP. But yeah, I've done a lot of studying on that. I've taken a course on it. That's one of those certs that's kind of on my bucket list to get. I think from an education vehicle, when you say, if you go down this journey to learn it, do you learn a lot of good information? I think it's one of the best. It is really up there. It rivals, I think, some of the other, like, big name certs I've gotten, like the my, my Cisco certs, it does a good job of educating you. It does a good job of keeping that balance of here's new stuff you need to know, but here's also historical information. You know, you don't see this stuff as much anymore, but it's important to know that this stuff exists. That's where those vulnerabilities came from. It's why we do the stuff today. It's great for that. It's a lot of work, but I do think you learn a lot. My question mark on it is it has, when you actually go down to actually take the cert, it's a very interesting requirements in that you have to have provable work experience in a certain number of these domains to be able to get it. Now, thankfully, mm -hmm. I work in a part of networking that is security. You know, we do VPN. So, like, I would right. be eligible to get this. But if you are not some sort of security either focused or security adjacent domain expert, you can't even get this thing. So the education's great, ton of great material. 
in the books and in the classes and the video series and stuff like that. But it occupies this weird spot for me in the hierarchy of like, you're an IT specialist, what search did you look at, right? Because there's like all sorts of branching passes for that. But a common thing to tell people is it gives you really good, one, marketability, and two, just perspective on IT to, you know, obviously have your specialty because that's what gets you the big bucks. But learn about some of this other stuff too. And like the CISSP cannot be in one of those others too, you know? Even if you're not a network engineer, you can go get a CCNA. Even if you're not, you know, like a Microsoft support specialist, you can go get their certs. You can't go get this one until you have years and years of proven experience. So I'll, I'll say as just an IT cert, you look at just the value of a cert, it does knock it down a little bit in my mind because really the only people that can get these are the people that have the security experience anyway. And there's always that battle of what's more valuable, the years of experience or the certs you get. You know, they normally go best together. But with ZS, you know, you can't, it's not one or the other. It's you got to have both to really do it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was a, a Debbie Downer at the end, but I think it's an amazing information source. So take it, get the information. It will help you understand security on IT structures so much better. But maybe it's not worth, if you're not planning on being a security specialist, to go try and get yourself in a security role for a couple of years to get the cert and then move back to whatever it is you actually wanted to do. So... It, it looks like the C, C and and I did have it written down right the first time it was CCSP, which you you write about calling that out. Uh, but the um, the the CCSP says you either have to have to to get the CCSP mm-hmm. uh, experience requirements. Candidates must have a minimum of five years cumulative paid work experience in, in IT, which three of those must be in information security and one year in one or more of the six domains. Candidate who does not have the required experience to become a CCSP may become an associate of the CCSP exam by passing the exam. Um, and then the oh, associate will then have six years to earn the five years of required experience to do that. Um, so it seems like the CCSP is more geared toward, it's kind of like a tiered thing. You know, the CIS um, SP is more like you have to have those things, right? The CCSP yeah. is more like, well, yeah, you, you can get the, you can get it and then you can, you know, go on to, to do whatever. Um, so yeah it's an interesting take on certs right like yeah that model is a lot closer to what you see in like the trades where it's oh you want to go be an electrician okay here's your education your coursework you got to take here's the test you got to pass and then you have to go do an apprenticeship somewhere for so long right i i think that it's a very good domain of knowledge to have i don't see so basically from going through the things that i've gone through and like learning about the things that I've gone through, I don't see any value in actually having the cert unless your job is going to pay you more for having it or they're going to pay you to get it. Um, because like generally, I mean, you can get a job based off that. It may help you to get another job 
So I guess that would be the other reason that you would get the cert. So there's value to having the cert if you're going to get a job that requires it, you have a job that would pay for it, or it somehow will give you a leg up in your current job. Otherwise, the knowledge is more valuable than the cert, I think. In, yeah, in that's kind of how I see it as well, because even with the, the CCSP, you know, hey, we'll, we'll make you like a partial member if you don't have the experience, but then you have to go get the experience. So like you still have to be um, like an IT security specialist to really extract that full value. But I mean, to your well, you point, have to the edge of the domains and, and even though it, it mostly covers cloud infrastructure, that's like kind of its focus. Um, it also covers like change management and service management and things like that, like ITIL stuff. So, Okay. If you that one's a bit more open, right? If you work in if you work in a security related service management thing, then you could you could get the CCSP. Okay. And, yeah, that is a bit more open because the domains for the the other one, the CISSP, are a lot more focused. Like I remember going through. I think there are eight domains, and you needed mm -hmm. these are four or six of them. I I just met the number, and that was right. like I work. <laughs> in a security thing, like secure networking. But even that was just barely enough because it didn't touch. So I could say like, okay, network security, got it. You know, and it was like, all right, software security. Yeah, okay. I do all the, um, you know, bug fixes and patching and security scans for our depots and all that, I mean, our repos and all that. So, okay, I can say that, you know. But, you know, a lot of the other stuff is like, no, I don't really do you know, endpoint security. Like we don't do desktop security and stuff like that. So I can't claim that and all those things. So yeah, I guess uh, I guess now I'm talking in circles, but information, <laughs> incredibly valuable. It's a great topic to study. I'm really glad my company paid for me to go get that training. I just, uh, if I wasn't in the position I was where I already met a lot of the requirements, I wouldn't bother taking the exam. Like if I came back and yeah. said, I didn't alternate Sorry, Ricky has experience in enterprise networking and not secure like VPN networking. I wouldn't bother. I'd take the class still, great information. But I wouldn't bother trying to get the experience to get the cert. Yeah, especially if you didn't have anything that overlapped with it. I could see that. I yeah. I I I know that like if I was in a government job or something like that, my perspective on this would be slightly different because you know, those types of jobs do value these industry standards certificates, especially if you're doing something like, you know. Um, government like enforcement agency, whether it's mm -hmm. military enforcement or law enforcement, those those sorts of things are really helpful to have these sorts of uh, IT certs for your career. But yeah, you know, they generally don't pay as well, so most people don't go into those agencies that have these sorts of certs. Well, I, I'll take that back. Some of them pay better than others. I, I should say that you know. So my background being in law enforcement, I understand a little bit of those nuances. A little bit better, but you probably aren't going to find, you know, the the IT guy or the forensics, you know, uh, technology specialist at a, a local police department that will have one of these. Uh, you might, but probably not, because they are uh, very nuanced, and you have to have a lot of like knowledge that you're not probably going to get um, from from some of these other things. However. There is a lot of valuable knowledge about investigations, chains of custody, all this other stuff in the CCSP. I haven't taken the CISSP 
workforce yet. So I don't know if that has uh, as much valuable knowledge in those areas, but I think, um, I think they cover a lot of the same material from what I understand reading the syllabuses mm-hmm. for them. Um, so, and, and also looking at like some of the testing like requirements and stuff like that. I think um, the CC, the CCSP is a little bit more towards like managers and leaders um, in, in these sorts of fields, you know, like service managers, um, you know, IT leaders and stuff like that. The people that really value the knowledge and maybe work in like an, inf- uh, an, an infosec architect or something like that would be a person who could do something like this, take a, a, um, uh, some, some of that material and really be able to get something out of it. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, I guess we don't really have an answer for the audience because <laughs> we're not, we're kind of waffling back and forth as to whether or not it's valuable to get the cert. So it's, it's a little bit more situational, but I definitely think the material is valuable. Um, it's very yeah. helpful. Yeah, I'd say, you know, if there weren't the strict requirements on work experience and stuff, this would easily be one of my, like, everybody should try and go get this because the information is so valuable. But just because of those requirements, it becomes so situational. If you could even take it, you know, or if you yeah. take it, if you could even keep it. <laughs> um, so speaking of security, let's talk about how Linus Tech Tips, the uh, YouTube channel, got hacked. Um, and, th- and they weren't the only YouTube channel that had this happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, you you said that you've been a little bit familiar with the the story. I've, I'm also fairly familiar with it. Um, one of the other YouTubers that I watch, uh, Paul Hibbert, he had this this thing happen to him. Um, so, let, well, I'll break down like kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is more of like a PSA for people. If you're doing any content creation or anything like that, you're now a target of people that are trying to use these. I mean, you've always been a target, but you're a target in a new way. Um, so this is like using uh, token hijacking um, or um, you know like a, a token um, a token exploit. Um, so basically, what happens is uh, you download um, uh, well you get an email from someone that seems like they're a legitimate sponsor. They say they have like a game or something that they want you to promote on your next video. It's like an ad, and then uh, they give you like a PDF that has a malformed execute like executable within it uh, or it is an executable file but it is labeled as a pdf like either way it's going to be in some way suspicious at that point you should just like back out and be like nope 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 you know just nope right on out out at that point but um if you don't when you when you open the pdf if you're on i think it's mostly targets Windows, but if you're on Windows, it'll then um, look at your sessions in your browser and take any tokens for authentication that's there and then um, be able to use those to log back into any accounts. So one of the problems is if you use Google services, make stuff a little bit easier. They don't have really low session timeouts or geofencing session timeouts. Mm-hmm. So if someone was to say, log in in Russia and you were in Canada, um, then Google wouldn't flag that as being like weird on your account for some reason. 
uh, and they would just allow be allowed to continue on their session. Um, there, there's some other like things that that kind of go into the the hack, you know, as far as like being able to like do session timeouts with tokens and things like that, or uh, per session tokens, which are is a little bit less convenient because you have to log in more often, but is much more secure. And none of those things happen with Google accounts. If you're using Google services or Google or anything that has to do with like YouTube or anything like that, just be aware that that is a security risk that you run into if you're opening up anything on the same machine that you're logged into your uh, Google accounts with. Now, Paul Hibbert said, this would have never happened if I was on a Mac. That is not true. <laughs> um, uh, so the reason it would have also happened because or the reason it would have also happened on a Mac, if the malware was targeted to be able to use any Mac binaries, it still would have grabbed those session tokens, right? Yep. So it, it's, it's all about token and, and token management and uh, being able to like take cookies that are in your browser and make them expire, essentially. So um, yeah, uh, breakdown of the hack, but... You said you know a little bit about it, so now that I've gone through my spiel, I haven't given my opinion about it, but tell me what you know about what's going on and what your thoughts are. I will not as much as you did, so you did a good breakdown for me. But, you know, I, I know ultimately what this, this kind of did boil down to is known vulnerabilities in multiple systems, and I think that's, that's the part of it I want to latch on to because there are Windows and Mac vulnerabilities that allow this to happen. There's Google's own, hey, how come it's not weird that two seconds ago, this person logged in from the, the US and now they're logged in from whatever other country. You right. know, no problems with that. No, really, once you're in verification, so this is okay. You know, as you said, long timers. Those sessions can be held open for a long time once they've got access to them. And it creates that like perfect cocktail of like your, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about some of these tech YouTubers. Like I've seen a lot of people say, shouldn't he have known better? And it's like, well, that's not the point. The point is anybody can get something that looks legitimate that they, the average person would have no way to detect. Like if my wife got that email, she wouldn't know how to scan a PDF to see if it had malicious stuff in it. If that came in and said, hey, here's your invoice from Amazon, or whatever, she was like, oh, okay. And she would have clicked it. And then she would have been hosed. Because the world we live in is dangerous. And the average person, I mean, even a very advanced person, does not see all this stuff that happens in the background. You know, so you set off that first domino. You clicked the link. You open the PDF. And this just malicious machine in the background just starts destroying you. Stealing your identity or whatever else, you know, the vulnerability is. Because, you know, this is similar to what happened with um, the stuff that ha caused that oil crisis in the U.S. for a little while, the gas crisis. Because there was yeah. some unpatched vulnerability that had sat there forever. And someone eventually just got in, ransomware the whole thing, because some security patch that didn't get run that had been out for six years. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing that I think just highlights the, how easy it is for if it gets past that human layer, that you're just done. Because all the right. machine layers, it's that cat and mouse game of find the vulnerability, fix the vulnerability. And God help you if you don't fix the vulnerability, because then everybody knows what it is at that point. 
you know, so it's just waiting for that next thing to be discovered. Yeah. And, and we mostly focus on like things like, is my, are my passwords secure yep. or is my multi-factor authentication secure? Did somebody like, you know, spoof my cell phone? Cause those are the big ticket items that people look at. And then they just kind of ignore things like, you know, cookies and other things like that, that we've had, I mean, admittedly, probably most of the reason that these things like, you know, the, the browser session cookies and the authentication token that goes along with it are left so long is for marketing reasons. Yep, it's user experience. Let's just be fair. It's a user experience and then they can, they can get more marketing if they can just keep or more data on what mm -hmm. you like, if they just keep you going at a site or they can get more data on what content you're creating, if they just keep you on the site and they've, they've made concessions for security for those reasons. So your underlying problems are not going to be with your system or you or things that you should have done, but it's the system that you're using and people knowing how to exploit that system. It wouldn't matter if it was your home security system or anything else like that. If the manufacturer of that system is making a vulnerability or making a hole or, or making something like that so that they can then, you know, exploit that themselves, that's going to become a security problem for you at some point in time. End of end of it <laughs> no, no other thing and that's basically what happened here right like google has a thing that they've done and it doesn't matter that the employee at ltt who did this uh, you know accidentally of course not un unintentionally um, mm -hmm. they but they 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 were taken advantage of clicked on this file it doesn't matter that they did it google system for all of its security and privacy and blah, 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 is set up so that they can market you or take and profit off you. And, um, you know, you're going to continue to have these problems as long as those systems are set up in a way that need to keep you engaged for as long as possible. They need to keep your sessions open for as long as possible. They're not doing like dynamic tokenization or something like that to be able to make those things refresh every time a new session comes up because they're trying to keep you engaged as long as possible. So yeah, you're just going to kind of be screwed. Yeah. But, and you know what I found myself doing more and more now is especially as I've been going to a particular dentist who loves to talk and I, my go-to when I try and explain technical stuff to people who aren't technical is to make it to something like cars that people understand better. And it's like, if you framed this in that way of like, okay, look, it's, it, driving a car can be dangerous. You'd make sure you're not under the influence. Maybe take some defensive driving courses. Make sure you've got good security features on your car so you're not bumping into people. And like all of the car safety stuff is pointed at maintaining the vehicle, making sure you're driving well to keep everybody safe. And then something comes along, it's like, oh yeah, but you click the AC button three times and then turn the radio to this number, it's going to release your identity. Yep. It's like, now wait a minute, hold on. How does that make <laughs> sense? Wait a minute. You're just telling me someone can get in my car and, and hit some combination of stuff and now my bank account is hacked. It's like, oh yeah, 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 but you should just lock the car. It's like, people break into cars all the time. Well, yeah, they do. It's like, what's the car manufacturer doing? Oh, well, you know. It would be really cumbersome for you not to have an AC, 
So we're just not going to worry about that. You know, that's kind of what this <laughs> rings at is like the part of that system you don't control is what has the problem. You can try yep. and like say, oh, I locked my car. It's like, well, they'll get you eventually. Yep. You know, they're, they're eventually going to find some way to get, get in there. They're going to find some way to spoof your key or they're going to have the right sort of USB cable that lets them just plug it in and they're in your car. Just like the Kia boys are. So, yep. On the same note, though, I am going to LTX. I, I, I know you won't be going, uh, but I'm going. I'm not. Look, I wasn't asked to go. So anybody that's like listening to this and is like, oh, you know, Joe is going like to like, you know, be part of the like creators at LTX. Uh, they, they have no idea who I am. I'm just going. Yeah. Just with <laughs> I have an opportunity to go to Vancouver. Go to a nice convention. Well, no, I just. I, I have an opportunity to go during that time period to Vancouver. It's like a family trip and I'm taking mm. one day to go to LTX during that, during that time period. I, I got a, uh, I got a ticket for myself, so it should be a, a fun time. I'm, I'm expecting for it to be, I just want to go. That's like a bucket list convention for me. I don't know that I'll ever be able to go again. Cause um, you know, it's a, it's a thing, but I'm going to try to it's uh, Oh. And for those that don't know what LTX is, I left a link in the notes, but it's uh, Linus Tech Tips Expo. It's like their convention center. And uh, I just thought that it was like a fun thing. I I was going before all this hack stuff came up, but I thought it was a, a appropriate time to talk about both mm. both things. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Take um, pictures. I'm looking forward to the stories. I'm, I'm definitely going to have stories. Well, I'm going to have stories from Vancouver, you know, so I'll have some, I'll be bringing back stories souvenirs and you know i always bring back gifts from the trips that i go on so expect some fun stuff um overall so yeah um anyways um this is season six episode two of the beer and broadband podcast should come out on april 3rd 2023 thank you so much for listening and we'll hope to catch you next time